0: How can dietary and nutrition choices help combat chronic disease? What is intuitive eating? How should shift workers eat at night for optimal performance? Learn the answers to these questions and many more on this episode of the Talk to Me Doc.
1: Welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast, where it's all about communication among the entire healthcare team. Let's talk to each other more effectively so that we can
0: truly help our patients. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Hey guys, this is Andrew. Thanks again for listening to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. If this is your first time, welcome. If you've listened before, thank you so much for coming back. In this episode, we interview David Orozco. David owns TD Wellness LLC, a nutrition and wellness practice in Atlanta, Georgia, and he hosts a podcast called One Small Bite, a podcast to help optimize men's nutrition and health. David has been in practice for over 14 years as a registered dietitian nutritionist, and he is a certified intuitive eating counselor. He also holds certifications as an exercise physiologist from the American College of Sports Medicine, and he is a quit smart smoking cessation counselor. He specializes in weight concerns, diabetes, emotional eating challenges, and eating disorders. And he also provides worksite wellness solutions for various companies and organizations. David was born in Bogotá, Colombia, came to the U.S. at the age of three and is fortunate to be fluent in Spanish and continues to work with the Latino community and see Spanish-speaking clients as well. David also enjoys cooking. He auditioned for season nine and ten of MasterChef TV show with celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay. David also enjoys teaching fitness classes, hiking, biking, and holds the rank of black belt in the Japanese martial art of Aikido. More importantly, David loves fun time with his family, his wife, Trisha, daughter, Helena, and his dog, Fuego. They love just to play at home, travel, explore, cook, binge watch Netflix, Amazon, and streaming TV, and just spend weekends relaxing together. Well, without further ado, let's get David onto the show. David Orozco, welcome to the Talk to Me Doc podcast.
1: Hey Andrew, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to 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 finally get this uh, this started. This is this is a you guys have a great show. I really appreciate you uh, allowing me be on. Yeah, thanks
0: for saying that. Uh, so I recorded a little bio about you uh, for the listeners, but in your own words, could you uh, kind of tell people who you are, what you do, what
1: your role is in health and healthcare, and so on? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, my name is David Orozco. Um, I have a, a private practice, nutrition private practice in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. I specialize in weight concerns. Um, diabetes, and eating disorders. I also have a background or a certification in intuitive eating and a certification as an exercise physiologist with the American College of Sports Medicine. I am also fluent in, in Spanish. I was born in Colombia and I came to the United States when I was three years old. Uh, so I've been living here almost all my life. Uh, no, my entire life. <laughs> and uh and, uh, and so I also help, uh, by serving the Latino community in Atlanta. In fact, I get maybe a handful of uh, Latino clients, uh, each week. Gotcha. Awesome. So, oh, and, 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 and I also forgot, I have a podcast. It's called one small bite.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, that's pretty important detail important. to leave out. Right. Right. <laughs> so intuitive eating, is that just like, I intuitively like to eat cookies or like, uh, what does that mean?
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, I love that. That's great. Um, yeah. So intuitive eating is essentially a way of getting to understand uh, and become aware of what your body's needs and wants are. And so um, I often tell people that intuitive eating is a, um, a meeting place between the foods that we need and the foods that we enjoy. So chocolate chip cookies are not off the table. Uh, pizza, burgers, uh, and in fact, that's what my show is mainly about. It's, you know, it's, it's for, it's generally for men. Um, and it is trying to get guys to be a little bit more intuitive about their eating. Um, intuitive eating is also essentially a a positive relationship to food. By the way, I once said that to a client and they said, I don't have a relationship with food. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know. It doesn't seem like you have a, a relationship, but, uh, you know, when you're at home alone and you're watching TV and you're, you're, you're chowing down on a bag of chips, you do have a relationship with, uh, with food and that is sort of to drown your emotions with them sometimes or, or to ignore it or to leave it alone. But yeah, so, so intuitive eating is building that positive relationship with food.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. i I definitely
1: recognize my relationship with pizza and it's, it's strong, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's right. That's right. I too, I grew up with pizza and I truly enjoy pizza. I make pizza for my daughter maybe once or twice a week, believe it or not. And so, yeah, I get it.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, and and my wife and I, we like to like make it at home and try to make it on like low carb type thing wraps and, you know, so it still gets the craving out of the way, but it's healthier. Um, But uh, I, I think a lot of that comes from just being rewarded with food as a child, unfortunately. But um, that's a whole different discussion. Yeah. So uh, your are private practice dietitian. Uh, is it, have you always done that? Did, did you work in a different setting
1: prior to that? Good question. Uh, so I've been in practice now for 14 years. I've been a dietitian uh, for a little over 16 years. And, uh, prior to that, I, um, before getting my master's degree in nutrition, um, I ran my family's travel agency, believe Mm -hmm. it or not. Yeah. So I ran my family's travel agency for about nine years before I realized, not before, but I had realized early on that that's not what I really loved in life, but I did it for nine years and, uh, I actually had a degree or graduated with a biology degree and had planned to go into medicine, and uh, and my family was calling my name and saying, "No, you got to come here. You got to come here." So, <laughs> so so yeah. So my previous life was running a travel business, and I enjoyed the travel part. I didn't enjoy doing it for others.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And, and then you got your degree, and then uh, transitioned into into your own practice. Is that kind
1: right? Of- Sort of I, I um I, I always knew that I wanted to be my own boss, but um, I did get um, almost two years of training at uh, Emory Bariatrics. So it's a weight loss, both surgical and non-surgical weight loss center. and uh, that's why um, I have a um, strong specialty in weight concerns. and uh, and so uh, I worked with people who were either having surgery or doing, what Emory had called a non-surgical approach, which is essentially a diet and fitness program Sure. Uh, and uh, using a, a liquid meal supplement and then a transition phase and stuff like that. So I got my training there for two years and then I started my practice. I did, I dabbled in corporate wellness. I still do quite a bit of that now. Uh, but I essentially right now the, the bulk my my, my work is doing one-on-one nutrition counseling in the office. I have, two dietitians that work with me and I have uh, two therapists, two psychologists, one that specializes in sleep and the other one in anxiety. And so I have a nice clinic with several practitioners and I like that uh, combination care um, approach.
0: Great. Well, you kind of answered my next question for me, which was who is your team? Um, <laughs> okay. So this is a show about team-based communication in healthcare and, uh, do you think, uh, in general there, uh, well, I guess my question would be, what, is, what do you think the biggest issue is with team-based communication right
1: now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the biggest issue I would say is when I, I thought about this, I, I thought about, um, well, so one of the three areas that I, I, I always see as a big challenge for me? Uh, because uh, I get a good amount of referrals from physicians and other health professionals, mm-hmm. so to me there there's there's three different areas that I see. One is um, that we're all trained to do specific type work, so we're all working in our own fields, and I'm sure you've heard this uh, this terminology before but um, we're all working in our independent silos Mm. and so I see that as one of the major areas of or challenges um, with communication is that uh, there is that we're all working in our independent silos and so we've got all of this billing or all of these clients or patients and and so we're all you know sort of stuck in our little worlds and our little microcosms um, and so that's one area where I see there being a big challenge. Um, the other one is, um, a sort of maybe, a, a lack of awareness or a, a knowing of how to integrate, integrate, um, uh, or collaborate, collaborate with other health professionals. Like for example, I'd love to have a physician in my practice, but how do I do that? I've never been told, how to, is there a way of doing that? Can I do that? I mean, I know I can, but and and could I afford that? What, you know, so I'd love to have maybe a nurse practitioner or a PA or uh, an internist or a primary care someone in the medical establishment that can help triage clients. And then, um, so, but again, there's this ignorance. There's this not, not, not. Uh, there's no knowing how, and that kind of leads into the third area, which is uh, to me there doesn't seem to be good role, um, not role models, but, but good models or templates of how to do team healthcare in our work other than maybe the ER uh, and, and, you know, I, we get as dietitians, we get our training in hospitals, um, for, I think we do either six or eight weeks at hospitals and we do a combination of, um, ICU, um, uh, uh diabetes, we see cr- uh, kidney disease, cardiovascular, um we do uh, uh, oncology, pediatrics. so you know we're, we're in the hospital sweat setting quite a bit, but other than the hospital, I don't know uh, of, a, of a good model. there are some models, I mean let me rephrase that there are some good models, but they're not very common. And so it's uh when you're you're trying to get into private practice, I think it's uh it's difficult to communicate with other physicians and other health pr- practitioners because, of those three main areas you know, you know we're working in silos we're, we're not really sure how to collaborate and then you know there's no real good model for that kind of collaborative care in our healthcare system
0: yeah no but really a lot of good points there i mean i think in the hospital uh, i think the the inpatient team uses dietary a lot and um you know whether that be for artificial feeds or for planning yep. or for diabetes or for all the things you mentioned but then they get discharged and then that's kind of like it right right um and then the patients are just given like a, a loose set of guidelines on what a heart healthy diet is or what have you and then right. they're just kind of kicked out into the world you right know? right and, exactly and, and you know i, I you know I, i'm an emergency doctor so i don't really i don't necessarily interact with you guys all that often but um I I'm sure a lot of my colleagues don't know about some of the services you provide and how to get patients in to see you. And, and, you know, I, I think there is a big miscommunication there and not really a miscommunication, but a lack of lack, uh, yeah. awareness. I guess a lack of awareness would probably be the best way to put it. And some of the, so much of our healthcare uh, issues, are chronic and preventable. Um, so, you know, a lot, a lot of these people could be kept out of the sure. hospital if they went and saw you. Uh, I'm sure, but um, yeah, those are good points.
1: Uh, I remember seeing a presentation one time uh, with a former um, uh, surgeon general talking about um, that somewhere. The statistics are somewhere around seventy percent of of medical issues or or mortality is uh, is prevent is preventable diseases, things that we can prevent. And i and i thought oh yeah that's great but i wish that i'd have more clients like sort of funneled into uh where they need to go afterwards but that's really really hard in our in our in our in our current healthcare setting absolutely yeah, yeah.
0: again that's probably another discussion another discussion <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it it is is the short answer the yeah. um so do you, do you think that some of these so with the different practitioners operating in silos and Uh, not communicating as well. So, I mean, I think we touched on this. Do you you think it it trickles down to the patients then because of just, they're not pushed in the right direction or they're not guided in that way? Or what do you think about that?
1: Yeah. You know, I was always fascinated um, uh, uh, by uh, what I thought was the healthcare model. I I don't know if it was when I was in my graduate program there, I, I remember learning about Maybe the uh, NHS um, model in England where there is a you know a guardian or a gatekeeper, which is the primary care physician. I think that that's where the Affordable Care Act was probably going, um, where you have this gatekeeper and that physician or health practitioner would be the person that connects all of uh, the other specialty areas. But to answer your question, yes, I think it affects uh, 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 um, people quite a bit. You know, um, the um, like I'll give you an example. You know, a client will come to me and they might have diabetes, and they're going to their physician. And because I do a really good job of trying to market to physicians. Uh, And and I'm going to digress a little bit here, but I -hmm. I do get a little bit frustrated with the pharmaceutical industry, not because of the medicine, but because they sort of uh, ruin the playing field, so to speak, for for us who want to go into physician practices now. A lot of physician practices close their doors. They don't allow us uh, to talk to them because they can't be influenced by um, outside services and products, right? So, uh, Mm -hmm. But aside from that, again, that's another discussion. Um, we, I don't get a lot of medical information, like past medical information, medications, surgeries, hospitalization, mental health issues. Um, I don't see a good amount of that when I see a client. Um, I have them fill out a form and it asks as much of that, as much of that information as possible, but I don't, I don't know really where the person is. I have to get to know that person all over again. And it does a a bit of a disservice to the client because it would be easier to get them um, where we already know what's going on. And it it sort of increases the speed at which we can care for them. And so it doesn't slow down their level of care. Um, I also think that, um, and this is a little bit outside my world, but I also see clients um, like my diabetes clients or uh, some of my renal kidney uh, clients where. Um, they have been prescribed one medication by maybe one doctor, primary care, and then another medication by their uh, nephrologist, and then another medication by uh, their internist. And so then they have like five or six different uh, medications that are trying to get to the same thing, but quite often I'll see their blood sugar spike or uh, they have difficulty remembering to take it or uh, so and so forth. So there's there's sort of this um, difficulty or redundancy of care that makes it a little bit difficult. And then uh, for a lot of clients that don't have a lot of resources, you know they they tend to spend a lot of time missing work hours or um, you know there's a lot of uh, demand on transportation and on their time, uh, sometimes going from from visit to visit to visit. Um, and, and because I also have consults with them, um, either weekly, every other week, maybe once a month. And, uh, and so that adds yet another layer. So it would be great to have more of that gatekeeper where the physician would have multiple specialties um, within a practice. Uh, that would be, you know, an ideal world. That would be great. But that's, that's where I see some of the communication problems affecting um, uh, client and patient care.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we're one of the only industries that still uses a fax machine.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I know right? it bothers me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I still have to have a fax number.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. I was like, I don't even know how to send a fax. I mean, yeah, It's it's really, it's absurd, honestly, but really, yeah. um, there's a lot of great people trying to work on a lot of those issues. So hopefully yeah. we'll have some interesting insights in the next number of years. I hope so, so do you, th- do you think in your own office, like, cause you have a, you have a team there. Um, can you think of a, an example, uh, where either communication, uh, either lack thereof or positive communication really affected a, a patient's outcome
1: or client? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, there is usually, uh, with my eating disorder clients, that's probably the, the, the biggest place where I have a higher level of communication, but with clients, excuse me, that have, uh, weight challenges or diabetes or cardiovascular disease. Um, I had one situation where I had a client who, this, this was just recently, she was prescribed a birth control medication and she had been dealing with high blood pressure, uh, for a while. And, um, and, uh, the medication was driving her blood pressure up a little bit higher. And, Um, I, uh, I, we kept working and working from a nutrition standpoint and, uh, to, to help, uh, improve her eating, to control her blood pressure. And we just, we couldn't for a while, we couldn't figure it out. And then her husband or somebody close to her had mentioned how, uh, how she was on a new medication for birth control and they started looking at the side effects. So they went to the doctor and, um, uh, sh- yeah, she, she was taken off the medication Her blood pressure improved quite a bit. Now that's a mild case. Um, I've had some other more serious situations. Um, for example, um, I had a situation with a client that had kidney disease, stage two ki- kidney disease, and they also had diabetes. And so just to digress a little bit, if you if uh, the vast majority of people that are on dialysis um, end up or damaging their kidneys partly because of high blood pressure and diabetes. And so I often see diabetes or high blood pressure in a lot of my um, kidney or uh, renal clients. And so um, one client had been on progesterone for a while and um We had been trying really, really hard to work on lowering their blood sugar, and um, the client didn't need to be on progesterone any longer. But was never told to be to take to to stop taking the progesterone, and so uh, no matter what we did with the diet, um, it wasn't working. And then we, I started looking at her medications again, and um, and I said, "How, "How long have you been taking progesterone, and what are you taking it for?" And she couldn't even remember what she was taking progesterone from. She couldn't remember. And I, and I said, all right, well, let me get in touch with your nephrologist. I called the nephrologist. The nephrologist said, oh, yeah, that wasn't prescribed. That was prescribed by her rheumatologist for something. And, and then she was either taken off the progesterone. She didn't need it anymore. And lo and behold, her blood, her blood sugar numbers improved quite a bit. And so that, that helped quite a bit. And that, that was hard because when, when we're having problems managing a person's blood sugar levels, what ends up happening is that if especially they're on insulin, they might have to take more insulin. And in my world, when people are going on higher and higher units of insulin, um, there is a tendency for more weight gain and, um, and the weight gain can tend to exasperate blood sugar control. And so it's very difficult because I'm not a physician, and so um, I I have to scramble to get in touch with uh, the physician. Now, luckily, because I'm a healthcare professional and I've established good relationships with a lot of my medical practices that refer clients to me, I'm able to mostly talk to the physicians directly instead of uh, their MAs or with medical assistants or their nurse practitioners. They they usually will be able to communicate it a little bit better. But that's another area where it's a little difficult. And it's not not always the physician's fault. You know, I mean, you guys are, uh, especially in practice, you're seeing somewhere between uh, a, a low number would be 15 to sometime. I've seen, I've heard, I've had physicians tell me that sometimes their numbers are, are sometimes up to as many as 40 clients a day, depending on their schedule. Yeah. And so I don't know how you guys do it, but <laughs> quite <laughs> honestly. I'm always surprised that they even remember a, a client or a patient when I call them. But, but yeah. So, so that that's where that's where it's I, I, I've seen some some challenges, and that, that, that's not the only situation. I mean, I don't often get it that much because the, the beautiful part about what I do is is that um, in the nutrition world, I'm I'm uh, I'm not seeing people that are in acute conditions. They're generally in a stable maintenance type of place or um, uh, not in harm, not in major harm.
0: Fair enough. No, good points. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, David, at this point in the show, I'd like to transition a little bit to get to know the guests a little bit better. And, um, so why don't you talk about your podcast a little bit? What, what do you talk about? What, what is it about and where can we find it?
1: Yeah, great. So the podcast is called one small bite. Um, and just to, to, to let you know the one small bite is uh, is a lot of what uh, I, I do in my practice. But the, bot, the podcast is actually designed more for men. And, and that's for two reasons. Number one, um, I 70% of my consults are with women. In other words, 70% of my business is uh, working with women. So I don't see enough men. And so I, there's definitely an underrepresentation of healthcare for men. And I think that that speaks to the second reason us guys tend to uh, delay care or not seek help. And mm-hmm. so I often find guys not asking for help quite often. And and that's for a variety of reasons. It's cultural, it's stereotypical, it is um, educational. There is a, a variety of reasons. So the podcast is designed to help men enhance their nutrition and therefore their health. Um, now, of course... The podcast is uh, designed for men, but if you listen to it, I mean, we all eat and we all <laughs> do a lot of the similar things, so it's very beneficial for 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 um, for both genders. Um, but it's designed for men, and uh, I do weekly uh, interviews as well as I do some solos. I have some Friday uh, episodes that I call um, the Friday Food Hack, uh, and that's where I bring in a specific topic on nutrition. Uh, health and wellness. And then uh, I also do table talks. And that's where I get listeners and guests to ask questions specifically about issues regarding their health and their nutrition. So that's what I do on the podcast. I really enjoy it. I have a really good time. The, the, the show is published weekly. And, uh, and again, every two times a month, I do uh, a Friday uh, episode as well. Yeah,
0: I've I've really enjoyed the show, so I'd recommend all listeners to check it out, and I'll uh, put some links in the show notes for you. Awesome. Uh, The uh, yeah, of course. The (laughs) next question I have for you: um, Do you have a book recommendation for the listeners, either a favorite book ever or a current recommendation, or both?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so there there are two, and and unfortunately, or I don't know, fortunately, they're 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 both um, uh, nonfiction. And so the first one is what we talked about early on, and that is Intuitive Eating, a a revolutionary program that works. Um, And that's from a colleague of mine, uh, Evelyn Triboli, and her co-author, who's also a dietitian, Elise Resch. So Intuitive Eating has transformed my approach and my way of working with people quite a bit. Um, And uh, so that's one book that I've enjoyed. I think they're coming out with a new edition uh, this June, uh, 2020. And then, um, the second book that I have really, really enjoyed that again, links a lot of what I do to, um, my practice is called atomic habits. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's from James clear. And he really, uh, gets to the nitty gritty of how we can make some Uh, Habit Changes, and uh, by the way, just as a spoiler alert, it has a lot to do with One Small Bite. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, One Small Step at a Time, right? But uh, those are the two books that I really, really enjoyed. But if I can say a third book that um, has inspired me my whole life, um, and that was uh, Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces. Um, This was the book that I believe... um, uh, george lucas uh was inspired by to write star wars and uh, i'm a big star wars geek i love star wars <laughs> um <laughs> so the uh, hero with a thousand faces has always been something that's mythical and interesting and and, and uh, uh, i've enjoyed uh, a lot quite a bit yeah, i
0: i'm a big star wars fan myself so i gotta read that one um and uh it's funny we did not plan this but i started reading atomic habits yesterday
1: oh no, <laughs> yeah it's, well what do you think so far
0: I, I really i'm enjoying it i mean yeah i just, yeah, I just got into it but uh yeah that's funny yeah
1: yeah yeah i love i love i love his approach um the research is not all his but i mean i, I think he just put it down in a way that's that makes a lot of sense and and it is there there's a good amount of research behind it too which is which is what i like so yeah
0: but it doesn't it doesn't feel like a, a researchy academic kind of yeah. book is uh he's he's got a way with words i really i'm liking it
1: yeah 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 and i like his story too you know former baseball player and so i, I like his journey as well so i'm always trying to tie in the hero's journey and a lot of things that i do so sure
0: yeah Absolutely. Okay. Well, David, what do you like to do for fun besides the podcast?
1: Well, good question. So um, the outdoors are my jam. I, I love being outdoors. Um, I love biking. Um, so I bike my daughter to school almost every day. I bike to work uh, every so often. I also really enjoy long walks in the morning. I'm I'm an early bird. I, I get up uh, between 4.45 and 5 and I'll do some writing. So that's another thing that I enjoy doing is I'll write. I'm writing a book already. And then um, I'll do long walks. So that's where I listen to podcasts and, and just kind of get my mind straight and get it ready for the day. And then uh, I love cooking. I mean, that's really another area that I enjoy quite a bit, you know. I'm true to my practice. I love cooking. My wife and I enjoy making some fun foods. And those, yeah, those are probably the big ones, Some reading books and, and writing.
0: Awesome. Uh, if you could give uh, physicians and other clinicians just a single piece of advice in the area of communication, uh, David, what would that be?
1: Team up with a registered dietitian. <laughs> <laughs> Seek us out. Look, look for us. Uh, there are several areas that you can find us. You're more than happy to get in touch with me. I'm more than happy to connect you with a dietitian in your area. You can find me either on my podcast, onesmallbite.net, or you can find me on uh, tdwellness.com. Uh, that's my private practice. There's also our uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has a find a, a dietitian in your area. And then each state has an affiliate of our national organization, and they can connect you with a registered dietitian nutritionist as well. So that's my big takeaway is uh, let's build that community a little bit more. And so uh, teaming up with a dietitian would be great.
0: Absolutely, great advice. I have just one last question for you. So, yeah. uh, as an emergency room doc, I go a lot, do days, do nights, switch back and forth all the time. And uh, what the heck do I eat in the middle of the night?
1: <laughs> really <laughs> good question. I just had uh, a podcast that is coming out that I interviewed this woman. She's a sleep psychologist, and uh, we talked about shift workers. And we actually brought the subject of uh, ship workers that include physicians and nurses and healthcare professionals. And so, one of the things that I and you'll hear hear it on that episode as well comes out this Wednesday. So, what I tell physicians or people that do night shift is try to mimic the way you eat during the day when you're working at night. It's a bit challenging, but you want to have um, two or three meals just like you would during the day, right? Two or three meals, and then maybe a snack. In between, especially if you're going longer than five hours between meals, or you didn't get enough of your food groups in each meal, and and so that's one major uh, uh, comment that I make is try to make believe that you're doing a nine to five, regardless if you're doing a seven to you know uh, seven to seven, or if you're doing a an eleven to seven uh, overnight. Your 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 first meal is the time is within an hour from waking up. Your next meal is around four or five hours after that, of course, if it's balanced. And then your next meal is four or five hours after that as well. It's no different than if, you're, you're, if I was talking to somebody who needed to improve their way of eating during the day. Um, so that's the main takeaway. And the, the, the second one would be the balance piece, is if you can try to get at least three food groups, three to four food groups in a meal, um, that can really help with at least one of them being fruit or vegetables. That will really give you a good balance on the way you're eating. So again, let's make believe it's pizza. All right, have a slice of pizza but if you can have a salad along with it, then complement the bread, the, pea, the cheese and then with some veggies, maybe add some nuts to to the salad. and, and so you get a nice rounded uh, balanced meal. So those are the two main messages that I te- tell people with uh, with shift work is try to mimic what they're doing. And then the, the only the third thing that I tell people with shift work to do is is uh, not to rely so heavily on on coffee. Um, but try to get a little bit more water but it you know that that's a little bit more challenging because you're trying to stay awake against uh uh your body's natural circadian rhythm so coffee has uh, has been a, a very easy go to to a lot of people so yeah i'm glad that you asked me a little nutrition question i love that you put me on the spot there that's good
0: <laughs> yeah well, i just really wanted to know
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> i love it i love it i think that's great i'm going to uh, use that piece there too to um, entice people to listen to that episode tomorrow. Uh,
0: Absolutely. Is- oh, I'm going to listen to it for sure now. Well, <laughs> David, thank you so much. This really has been a lot of fun. And, uh, thanks for all you do in helping our patients improve their life and uh, reduce chronic disease and just uh, get healthier in general. Hopefully, physicians out there will get more in contact with you and send patients your way.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. I really appreciate this, Andrew. This is really great. It's an honor to be on your show. And I'm, I'm really excited that, uh, I'll have you on my show one of these days, too.
0: Absolutely. Can't wait, David. Well, we'll talk soon. Thanks again.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. Wow. What an
0: awesome show we had with David Orozco. I really enjoyed learning about intuitive eating and learning that it didn't just mean intuitively eating whatever you want. I also thought his point about how all different healthcare workers work in silos and they're specialists of their own area, but maybe don't collaborate as well. David also spoke about the lack of awareness of dietary and nutrition and how to collaborate with people like him. He states there's no model of how to do team-based healthcare, and we're really not taught it in school. David also thinks it's frustrating that he doesn't get medical records, and it is a challenge in reaching physicians sometimes. His advice for clinicians is to seek them out and look for them, and by them meaning dietary and nutrition. Talk to me, doc, listeners. Thank you again so much for listening. This marks the 10th episode of the Talk to Me Doc podcast, and I am so very grateful for each and every one of you. I have decided to split the show into focus areas, not quite seasons, because I don't want to say something like that was so last season. The first topic area focused on different perspectives from different members of the healthcare team on how to communicate. The second focus area We'll look towards why some physicians have difficulty communicating and explore workplace dissatisfaction, burnout, and work-life balance, especially in the early career physician. I will also be sharing some of my own stories in this regard. Until next time, keep talking, thank you for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already.